Welcome to Market Scales, The Trust Revolution, How Trust Unlocks the Future. Hosted by the CEO of White Fox Defense, a global leader in drone airspace security, here's technology entrepreneur, Luke Fox. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to explore how only making computer networks more secure might be totally missing the mark. There's a whole other side to cybersecurity than just building a taller virtual wall. Joining me today to explore this new paradigm is Dr. Robin Berther, who has been changing the world of cybersecurity for the past 15 years by developing groundbreaking network visualization technology. He co-founded Network Perception in 2014 to support the network security and compliance needs of electric utilities across the United States. As a CEO of a rapidly growing company, Dr. Bertire was invited to brief congressional representatives on American innovation and technology transfer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's just dive into this. What does it really mean to like, and why is it so important to talk about network security and compliance across electric utilities? Like what, what, what are network utilities just to begin with? Well, um, over the past, you know, 20 years, um, Utilities have modernized their infrastructure like everyone, adding remote control and remote uh, sensor capabilities. And that connectivity has uh, increased their attack surface and uh, gave new opportunities for for disruptions. So as a result, they need to be extremely careful. They are critical infrastructure. They need to be extremely careful of, of cyber attacks, um, you know, preventing the mission to deliver electricity uh, for cities and, and uh, population. And what could go wrong if they aren't properly protected, especially now that we have all these additional attack surfaces, as you say? What's the risk? You know, the grid is a complex machine. Uh, it has uh, millions of components, equipment such as relays, transformers, power lines. Um, you have settings, and uh, if you start changing things, then... Uh, uh, you could create outages, or you could uh, just disrupt the ability for a utility to um, to achieve their mission. We've seen that a couple of years ago in uh, Ukraine, where an outage was created by a, a cyber attack, uh, and the operators were kept away from their station, like they couldn't access their systems uh, uh, due to denial of service and and other types of, of disruptions. And and what was what was the effect? Well, the effect was. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people lost power for about six hours. What saved the, the situation in Ukraine is that they had actually a backup analog system. So they were able to roll trucks and then go there and then fix by hand uh, those uh, those relays to uh, put the, the power back on. But the whole uh, uh, connectivity was was down due to the attack. My goodness, they're, they're fortunate to have uh, had that, uh, those plans in place to be able to respond. No, it's 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 really important to have you know you know your dependencies, you know what's critical, and you want to always have that backup plan around it, so that if if something fails, uh, you can uh, you can remediate. And it seems like there were uh, in the Ukraine attack, there were key vulnerabilities. Are those is that same attack surface that's expanding that you're saying is happening in the United States? Is that uh, equivalent to what's happened in the Ukraine? Is that a lesson for us, or are they doing something totally different? 
they're doing something different. So uh, in the in the system they had, uh, many of the utilities in the US are, are, have a, a different design. Uh, so the same vulnerability wouldn't apply the same type of attack. But it's still a wake-up call in terms of um, critical infrastructure being a target. And you want to make sure you design uh, your architecture in, in a sense that you can prevent those disruptions. Absolutely. I mean, just recently here in the United States, in Florida, in February, in February of 2021, there was right. a, and there was an attack. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, that was just a few days before the Super Bowl. Um, we discovered that the water treatment facility in uh, Old Smart Florida was was attacked, and uh, uh, the attacker was able to change uh, the setting of an industrial system to uh, modify. Uh, the volume of, uh, of uh, I mean, the, the concentration of uh, sodium hydroxide inside the, the water treatment. So luckily, there was a monitoring system and someone was able to, to catch uh, that, that issue and prevent the chemicals to uh, uh, go into the water supply. So that attack didn't, it was an attempt, but didn't lead to any damage. Uh, but what's really worrisome is that if you look at the, the, the way the attack occurred, uh, we had a... Uh, you know, an operator with uh, uh, a system that was open to the internet. Like there was a, a remote control software that allowed colleagues of that person to control their computer remotely, and that was exposed to the whole internet. And that's really what uh, what we need to, uh, to think about in terms of how do we want to protect, how, how networks are our first line of defense to make sure this doesn't happen. And so what could have happened if that would have got, if that, you know, adding the sodium, uh, what was what was the chemical? It was, uh, it's lye, so it's sodium hydroxide. Okay, and what would have happened then if that lye would have had an increased concentration and gone out into the water of people drinking it? Yeah, so um, the the concentration was, was increased by two orders of magnitude. So that mm. leads to poisonous water, like you would have people getting sick and uh, and worse. And potentially even dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's so crazy to think about how somebody's just remote access software that, I mean, absolutely, especially anybody who's or many people who are working during the pandemic know this that remote access software is everywhere, right? And so, what is that something? Do you it was that something that was uh, that was approved to have been put in? Do we know? Do we uh, like how do you how do you protect against something literally where you put a vulnerability? in a piece of critical infrastructure. I mean, right. it seems like it's putting a back door right in for anybody who's able to poke at it. Right. No, I think that's what I, I, I meant earlier with this increased attack surface between, you know, adding connectivity through Internet of Things, connected equipment, uh, starting to use services in the cloud, having, as you said, remote working capabilities, and then uh, bring your own device to work, like you can bring your your phone, you can connect to the to the enterprise network. All those items will just bring new opportunities for for attacks and for disruptions. And so you want to make sure that um, you build what's called defense in depth. So you have multiple layers to increase the complexity of a potential attack against those systems. In the case of uh, this water treatment uh, facility attack, you know there was some basic cyber security uh, steps to to take in terms of you know putting a firewall having two-factor authentication uh, making sure that uh, having remote desktop uh, is is approved there's a, a chain of custody to approve that type of software um, 
and and those yeah those steps were not taken i see and even when all of those steps are taken and everybody checks all the right boxes it seems like these attacks are just inevitable right and i think one of one of the really interesting things about uh ways that you approach cybersecurity is this appreciation for you know you could do build these defenses as much as possible but they're kind of inevitable is that right exactly exactly so it's really a, a a change in the way we think about cybersecurity like so far we've been working extremely hard on developing security solutions to keep attacks outside and we we of course need to to, to keep doing this but we also need to come to the realization that um you know, like like your immune system, you're under constant threats of mm. of viruses, of disease. Uh, it's impossible to keep everything outside of your of your perimeter, and so you need to, uh, in the way you design your solutions, you need to think through what's called resiliency. Like how, despite being under a threat environment, can I keep operating, and how can I gain uh, an agility to be able to respond to that to those threats uh, and, and not try to keep everything outside because it's impossible. And so it sounds like as we uh, as we expand the convenience and we're on this mm -hmm. trend of making systems more convenient, adding in IoT devices, remote working environments, that, that expands the attack surface. And by right. doing so, it makes it really even more inevitable that attacks are going to come like you said immune yep. surface like your your immune system they keep coming in and so how do we beef up our cyber immune system knowing that these things are coming in we might be able to keep a lot of them out and so much of this cybersecurity industry is built around keeping them out it sounds like you're taking this very different approach of saying hey some are going to get in how do we trust how do we still trust this network and ensure it's safe once they're in it's it's a way to think of it's not um you know if I will get attacked, it's when I will get attacked. So really designing your system with that in mind and knowing that at some point there will be some disruption from cyber threats and you want to be prepared. You want to ensure business continuity. And, uh, you know, an interesting data point on this increased attack surface is that we're also having more software, more dependencies on applications. Uh, if you look at the the, the, the national uh, vulnerability database, NVD, um, you know, 2016, there was about 6,000 vulnerabilities being disclosed and uh, 2020, 18,000. So we have wow. this explosion in terms of numbers of issues discovered in software. And that would be okay if we were not depending so much on software, but everything we do now in every industry, we have those dependencies. And, uh, and knowing that we have those dependencies and knowing that if they fail, we can, uh, you know, we can really damage businesses, and in the case of critical infrastructure, we can actually hurt people. Um, is 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 crucial. Like we need to, uh, to to know that. And so, how do people, how do businesses then build that cyber resiliency, knowing these attacks are going to happen? It's not an if, but it's a when. And right. there's all these dependencies and all these different software, so it could come from anywhere. It's not like there's a front door. You're, you know, we're literally building in back doors for remote access. Like it could come from any direction. How do we keep people safe and alive, especially in critical infrastructure? Yes. Yeah, so you need to. I mean, you want to um, uh, understand and adopt principles around uh, what's called cyber resiliency in order to uh, uh, be smart about about these uh, those those issues and also trying to you know 
reverse the equation. Like like so far, it's an, it's an arms race between attackers and defenders. And attackers have the benefit of surprise. They can, you know, the, the defender have to fail only once for the attacker to be able to, to get in, inside the perimeter. So you have this um, imbalance between what the attacker can do and what the defender has to do. Um, and so by the cyber resiliency paradigm, you want to make sure that you think through your system differently and, and try to put leverage on your side uh, so that despite those attacks, you can, you can keep operating. And so as the CEO of Network Perception, which has been now for many years helping to build the cyber resiliency in the most vulnerable, critical infrastructure... Uh, our electric grid, which supports everything from the internet to cell phone towers to everything. There's backup generators, but you still need electricity at some point uh, from the grid. Beyond the principles, how are you helping these companies ensure that you know that l- lives aren't put at risk because of a cyber attack? Right. So the very first step is um, visibility. Like you want to make sure you know what you have in your in your network. Like okay. Remember- wait. Yeah. It's- Dive into that because it seems like, okay, I got a computer, I have a network switch. Do people really not know what's on their network? It's it's uh, surprising, but yeah, most organizations have no idea what's in their network. Or maybe, you know, a few folks in the, in the networking, network team have that information, but often that information is out of date. You know, you have an old physio diagram that documents your topology, but it's not up to date. And then... Uh, and then there's, as you said, you know, so much uh, changes, like so many changes. It's a dynamic environment that you, uh, you know, you lose track of assets you have, access policies you put in place, and and you're constantly evolving uh, perimeter. So you want to have that visibility. That's that's really step one uh, to know what you have. I, it's funny, like I was listening to this um, uh, presentation at the conference by. Uh, a lead um, a director at the NSA around, like they were part of the offense team. So they were the team at the NSA attacking other networks. And it was very rare for someone like him to, you know, publicly give a presentation like this. But he was explaining that the way they do it is that they observe and study the target network for a long, long time. They study for months, even years. And they gather so much information that at the end, they know the network much better than the owner of that network. And through that advantage of, of knowledge, they can then uh, design an attack and stay stealthy and, and uh, achieve their mission. And so like someone robbing a house, they're casing the joint. They're understanding exactly. even where people don't even realize their daily habits have a pattern. But if right. somebody's casing casing your joint, then they know what what those patterns are. They recognize, you know, on Tuesdays this typically happens. So there's that vulnerability there. Fascinating. Yes. So as a defender, you want to first, you know, know your network extremely well. Like, what equipment do I have? How is it configured? How is it protected? What are my layers of firewalls? How is uh, access policies actually enforcing uh, my, uh, you know, my perimeter protection? Okay, so you talked about things on the network. Are we just talking about laptops? Like, what are the things that you've seen on networks that make make a vulnerability other than maybe just not knowing it's there, right? It's not just an extra laptop that is on, or maybe it is. Like, what what's getting on the network that's so important? Yeah, we have, um, you know, in the in the industry with 
which I'm working, you have a lot of equipment that's connected now to the network. So I mentioned earlier the uh, relays, the uh, you know the protection equipment, transformers. All those now have a network interface, an IP you know card that can allow them to connect to an IP network. So there's a whole category of industrial equipment that have been brought to the network. In addition, you have uh, servers, so data storage uh, applications running on on the virtual or hardware server to provide services. Uh, then you have endpoints, so you know, the, the laptops, the workstations, your, your cell phone, uh, your tablet. And then you also have uh, what we call the fabric of the network, which is which you know, all the gateways allowing the, the network to run. And, and that falls into three categories. You have firewalls, routers, and network switches. So with those different uh, types of equipment, you have an ecosystem that's complex. It's uh, growing complexity uh, pretty much every day and uh, keeping track and having that visualization of, uh, of the topology to know what's up and, and how things are configured is, is, is a huge challenge for organizations. I see. And so as they, now that they, you know, I assume network perception, you help them understand and companies like yours help them understand what's on the network. What are all the things that are connected to it? It's all the switches and relays and route and routers and laptops and cell phones and right. maybe unauthorized, you know, Chinese made IOT security cameras and everything else that gets connected to the network. What from there, now that you have this map that's like, wow, we have a more complex network and it looks like it's changing every day. What from there? So, you know, from there, you want to start applying those cyber resiliency principles. Um, A core one is the principle of least privilege. Like you want to make sure you put in place segmentation so you understand the criticality of your different assets and you separate the critical against the non-critical systems. Because again, we have dependencies on cyber systems. If one of those systems is failing, everything depending on it will have an issue functioning. And so if a non-critical system fails, you know, that's okay. You can take time to repair. If a critical system fails, you want to know that. And so separating the two allows you to have through that segmentation, you know, uh, to avoid what we call catastrophic catastrophic failures. Like you want to avoid, you know, one system just putting the whole house down. So principle of least privilege applies to networks. It applies to permissions. Like you want to make sure that as you add new uh, users to your system, you want to uh, allow them to have access to services they need to do for their day-to-day job. But that's it, like no more permission that they should have. And that way you, again, uh, have, uh, you know, constraining forces to, to prevent uh, a compromise account from from disrupting too much. I see, and so that takes a that takes a lot of thought and planning, and uh, it just that's takes seems like that takes a lot of man hours, right? right. Uh, people hours to understand who everybody is, what they need, what they don't need, ensuring that they only have what they need. And so that's is that done by a person that's you know checking boxes, saying they have permission to these different systems, or how how do you, do you can you automate that? Yeah, it's a combination of, uh, you know, it's a combination of manual work and also leveraging automation. So thanks to to technology, now we can actually uh, speed up a lot of that work. And really what you want to have is a strong compliance program because it's one thing to say, okay, we need to, you know, ensure 
principle of least privilege. We need to ensure network segmentation. But because it's it can be tedious, because it can be a lot of work to uh, to ensure that you want to have a program around uh, compliance to you know measure how you're doing and and identify if something is not done properly. You know you can uh, uh, at your home you can uh, you know uh, tell your family make sure the the windows and the doors are locked when we go uh, go to bed at night. But if uh, if you don't monitor that, you know you can you can uh, miss some some nights and then have like increase your attack surface. And the, so it sounds like what you're saying there, it really comes down to the people and it's building this culture of, uh, within the organization where people can trust that the other person did kind of quote unquote lock the door on their right. way out. They did set it up right. And then you're, uh, you're saying that then you need to be, you need to have compliance checking tools to automate the process of, you know, are all the windows locked? Because if one window's unlocked, Maybe yep. malicious, maybe accidental, that can compromise the entire network. Yep. So you want to have this dashboard that shows you visually in a way that everyone can understand. And and I think this concept of usability to be a useful for both, you know, technical as well as non-technical user is also core to our mission of cyber resiliency. Because um if you if you build solutions that are just too complex, then they end up not being used and not being leveraged. So you want a clear dashboard that represents those complex concepts in a in such a simple way that you can see, okay, right away, here is the window that are not closed, the door that are not, haven't been locked in the last week. And uh, it's it's a mix between the compliance and the cybersecurity dashboard and, uh, and ensuring that you work towards that culture of cyber resiliency that we've been talking about here. And so on that usability side, am I, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that we need uh, more than just the IT department to be able to say, yes, everything is good, because otherwise they're kind of policing themselves. Absolutely. No, that's that's actually a great point, because, um, you know, for the past 20, 30 years, as security started to become a, a really important aspect of organizations, we've relied on IT to do pretty much everything, you know. Uh, deploying new equipment, configuring them, securing them, uh, and nowadays we discover that that's you know that's not sufficient because it's such a, a people challenge for everyone in the organization. You need to have multiple teams working together, collaborating, verifying each other's work. So it is some collaboration, but also some independence that they need to have. So you have the compliance team, you have the networking team, you have the security team, and um, in uh, critical infrastructure or industrial systems, often you have an IT side of the of the house and also an OT side, like the operational technology side, where you also have teams around security compliance uh, that can uh, check on the industrial systems. So that's that's a lot of people, and and you want to make sure that they are aligned with the same understanding of how things are connected and uh, and how things are configured. And again, that's where clear visualization and and access to information is is crucial i see and so as we're thinking about this it's it's fascinating to think about it kind of an, as a as a house and inside a house where so much cybersecurity as we talked about it's like that firewall that big wall around the house the gate keeping people out and we're saying you know sometimes there is a window that's left open and you want to make sure that they can they don't get access to the entire house so it's Right. Shut. It's locking these doors and vi- being able to visualize where all the doors are. Make sure that they're all uh, they're locked. Is that is that right? 
That's right. That's right. And so keeping the internals safe and that that what you're pr- most sensitively protecting that people's lives depend on, as we saw with this Florida uh, in this Florida scenario. Yeah, and and other interesting principles you want to adopt are around redundancy and diversity. So redundancy meaning that if you just rely on one specific system and that system fails and you don't have a backup, then you're in a, a critical situation. Like what so saved redundant- Ukraine? Yeah, exactly. So it's so redundancy meaning that you have you know multiple ways to uh, to to uh, achieve your mission. Um, and then diversity, and a good example with Ukraine is that you want to have different ways to to do something. Or if we go back to the you know to the to the house example, if you buy the same lock on all doors that are uh, outside, but we discovered that there is a vulnerability from that vendor into that lock, and, and it's easy to actually pick the lock, then suddenly all your doors are vulnerable. But if you had purchased those logs from, you know, five different vendors that will be contained to one specific type of doors and you would still be secure with the other vendors. Uh, so having that diversity in, in the organization network, you want to have this, what's called, uh, you know, building an heterogeneous network. We know one specific vendor for your core firewall, a different vendor for your perimeter firewall. Uh, that way, if you're under a zero day attack, um, you can, uh, you can, you can resist. I see. And so it kind of goes back to the idea that it's inevitable that you're going to get attacked. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to make it as difficult as possible for someone to attack and to make it as difficult for them to really destroy and cause a lot of damage. And right. most cyber criminals don't have those resources. You know, the classic, the first layer of cyber criminals are just script kitties, right? People are just trying to cause trouble, you know, just going around, seeing, poking around, seeing what's happening. But you get much more sophisticated. Uh, there are a number of, especially state-sponsored groups. Recently, the Microsoft president, uh, Brad Smith, he said that he believes that SolarWinds attack uh, was the largest, most sophisticated attack the world's ever seen with over a thousand engineers developing it. And so you might have a thousand different locks on the doors, but uh, with that much, that many resources, it's, it's arguably inevitable they're going to get in and do some damage. The, what what really is, the, why is SolarWinds the largest, most sophisticated attack? Is it just because they had a thousand people attacking a bunch of different companies or what, what really made it this big threat? Yeah, so the solar wind example is is uh, is very interesting um, because they've attacked the IT security monitoring solution of those companies, and uh, what well, you're and supposed actually, to trust. That's supposed exactly. to be the thing you so, trust the most. And you're and you're also supposed to give access to that security solution to pretty much everything. Um, so it's it's a smart move, but it's also extremely complex. It's a supply chain attack which means that they had to compromise uh, the SolarWinds servers and the update process to infect you know, all their customers, which I think they estimate like 18,000 customers uh, impacted. And, uh, and, and because of, of the access that those IT security solutions have, um, then suddenly we have a situation where you, 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 you lose the trust in pretty much everything in your organization network. Like you just... Uh, short of of breaking, I mean, having to remove all your equipment and starting from scratch for months and, and years, you will not be sure that you have uh, kept that attack uh, outside of your environment. 
So how do you have resiliency to that when you say, I can't trust anything on my network, everything has been compromised by a highly sophisticated criminal? That's right. So, you know, knowing that supply chain can be an attack vector um, should raise, you know, when you do a risk assessment, when you start to list all possible things that could fail inside your organization due to cyber attacks, um, you go through, uh, you know, different types of risks. and the SolarWinds example showed us that supply chain attack is a reality. Like it, it, it may have been uh, uh, theoretical for years. Like some, some folks were just saying, "Be careful! Supply chain can be compromised, and you can download something that's that's uh, that's bad that has a malware." Uh, now we have a, an actual example at an extremely large scale that this happened. So, you know, raising the criticality and the severity of that risk will have an impact in terms of. You know, next time you buy a software, an IT monitoring solution, so any software, you can apply that that uh, principle of least privilege we uh, mentioned before, uh, so that you only give access to that system to you know what it needs and nothing else. And you also ask yourself the question: Okay, do I really need to have this system opening those ports? Do I really need to have this system contacting a cloud server every day? Um, should I build a test environment to first uh, validate my patches and updates before I put them in production? So there's an ecosystem of of measures you can start to take. And uh, I think before we were putting supply chain on the side, saying, you know, we trust our vendors. And the SolarWinds example have showed us that that we cannot, and we need to, um, to um, you know, step up our, our, our defensive solutions and detection solutions there to be able to catch that. Right. And many have argued, looking back, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, that if proper compliance tools were used, if there was uh, different mechanisms in place, that these attacks could have been seen, like the SolarWinds attack, seeing the suspicious activity as your software that you're running, the security software is talking to these random cloud servers. Where then, like, how do we ever trust cloud-based software? How do we trust anything that's talking to the cloud? Because that's totally outside our network. We have no idea what it's sending to where, to whom, in what country. Like, how how do you resolve that? No, that's that's a great challenge. Um, and the cloud uh, situation is interesting because on one side, you have dedicated cloud providers whose business model relies on providing you a really you know secure cloud. That's so convenient. Everybody loves it. It's convenient. But in some sense, because they are so incentivized to keep those clouds secure they're doing a better job than you in your organization to uh, protect those uh, servers in the cloud. Um, but we are now opening up our perimeter. We have our local data center. We have a, a remote data center. We need to have VPNs. We need to have uh, you know, outsourced authentication services uh, to the cloud. So again, that attack surface keeps increasing. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge. I think we are in a, you know, not very mature yet in that whole cybersecurity uh, aspect. We're, we're learning and we're developing that maturity, but that may take you know years ahead of us to get to those principles and techniques becoming, uh, you know, becoming obvious and becoming installed everywhere. And when you, when you say we, you mean the industry? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone is. We're guilty. like. We're like the you know driving cars without seatbelt in the 1950s, and so we don't have yet the 
the the full compliance regulation and and uh, protective technique like a seatbelt to uh, to prevent us from from uh, you know damaging an accident. My goodness, it's it's so incredible when we think about just the scale of what could be just a simple business network. Realizing there's so much complexity to it, there's so many vendors, and they're talking to the cloud providers, and so much of our software is hosted on the cloud. That it's no wonder that you know you you make the statement that we have to assume we're going to be attacked. We have to assume that we're going to have uh, somebody break through that perimeter. And similar to a, a recent episode we did with Juliet Kayyem, uh from the Department of Homeland Security, that talked about resiliency. She talked about it as resiliency as a country, knowing we're going to get attacked, knowing natural disaster is going to happen, and we have to stay strong and respond to those. And we're taking that right back and right down into the cyber realm where all of us are on their computers, on our laptops, on our phones, uh, and operating, uh, turning on the electricity, no trusting that electricity is going to come to us, just that somebody hasn't atta- attacked it. Is it? I'm curious. Just as we wrap up uh, and close out today, in these moments, to, final moments together, I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on where, what, like, what's next? What are we not? talking about what do people need to do to move uh to move us forward so that we aren't all guilty of this uh what what you said of just not being aware of the true threat vector uh and all the attack services that exist yeah so no great question so i think the next step is really uh for first building awareness and and those examples we see in the news are helping to actually Make sure we have a conversation. Make sure that everyone is aware that this can happen, um, and uh, and then getting the knowledge that we need to uh, to secure environments. Like we can no longer just assume, as you said, that you know we purchase equipment, we connect things, and then we forget. No, we need to have a function that uh, gives it that, that visibility. Um, it's a collective effort, so it's uh, you know multiple teams, as we said earlier. It's uh, the, the government as a role, so we we need to uh, think about compliance and regulation as a as a way to uh, you know raise the bar. Uh, but that's not enough. Like we need to keep you know working towards that uh, cyber resiliency picture and learning those techniques, applying those techniques. Uh, you know, correct network segmentation, having redundancy, uh, building heterogeneous network, gaining visibility, and also having continuous monitoring so you don't lose track of how things are connected. And and one uh, thing which is very dear to me is, is that usability. Like because of that complexity, you know, entropy keeps you know coming in every corner of our of our infrastructure and systems. It's a it's a continuous work to keep things simple. And so, how do we uh, abstract uh, you know detailed information into uh, into concept that we from from which we can take informed decision and and really. Uh, understand what's going on without being lost in the details. Absolutely. Those details are, are so critical to understand what's happening. As the as you said, the attack surface is increasing largely because we are uh, systems are becoming more complicated that w- and we want things to be more convenient. And so all these attack surfaces are uh, are increasing, therefore making us more vulnerable and we have more vendors that we have to trust. That they're that they aren't uh, that they aren't being attacked themselves, and we just live in this world where we're going to be attacked. Things are going to uh, intruders are going to break through those defenses. But as, as you said, those redundancy and diversity, ensuring that we can respond and we have agility 
in our response that we can recover when we do get attacked. This has been such a fascinating conversation. You know, I'd love to hear to our viewers what their feedback is and what uh, what you learned from from this uh, discussion today. Please feel free to comment them, tweet them. Uh, let's hear them. Uh, and if you've applied uh, Dr. Bertier's advice and feedback to your business, uh, please let us know. Uh, to all of our listeners out there, I'm curious, how can they best uh, hear more of your perspective and get in contact with you? Yeah, I think the best way is to uh, go to our website, so network-perception.com. Uh, we have our, our contact info. I have my contact info over there. Uh, and we'll be uh, really happy to you know, keep the discussions with them and conversation and, and answer to questions they have. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Bertier, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Luke. Thanks. Thank you very much. And for all those listening, join us next time on The Trust Revolution. The Trust Revolution.